Jesus, John. Hi there, you're feeling better. Oh, no, I'm not, actually. Oh, look, I'm opening something interesting. <laughs> is that, what is that, Lucas Ed? No, well, no, it's a, uh, it's a, a double shot espresso Sainsbury's drink thing. Oh, coffee. like an coffee. energy drink. Oh, oh a coffee. coffee. Oh, I see. Okay. Because uh, you've been unwell, John. I've had COVID, Rob. <sighs> Copycat. <laughs> uh, I felt absolutely awful <laughs> yeah, for the last couple of weeks. I think you got it a lot worse than I did. Um, yeah, well, the whole house went down with it. And my wife was meant to be away working and my daughter was at home. So two adults and a child at home with COVID is not pleasant. <laughs> no, I can imagine. Um, and so, yeah, she went back. For, so uh, Kitty went back to school for one day and now she's on <laughs> holiday. So uh, the amount of work I'm getting done is very little indeed. Oh, dear. I've, I've packed her off today to a uh, an outdoor event. Um, she's with two, one ex-Royal Marine <laughs> in just, the woods. Uh, just her Whitt- shepherded yeah. by two Royal Marines. Whittling, <laughs> whittling dangerous spears and uh, basically being feral. Um, yeah. Uh, so You're hoping she'll come back exhausted? She the, Yeah, when she went on Tuesday, she's been already this week, um, she came back, she was just filthy and... She just fell asleep in the car on the way home. Yeah. She, she Did she love it? Do. She does love it. Yeah, she's been before a couple of times. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they just, you know, they just go feral, don't they? They make bows and arrows and uh, play all sorts of hide, hiding and they learn about nature and Sounds go, great. go on walks. Yeah, it's fantastic. So yeah, I, I went for a walk after that because I thought I'd try and get some fresh, fresh air because I haven't been out of the house really. And um, so I walked over to, it's in Cheriton, which is um, an old Civil War uh, village. And there was a battle yeah. there. So I walked along all the lanes where the, where the royalists ambushed the, um, the, uh, the parliamentarians. Oh, spooky. Yeah. And it was really spooky because it was super foggy this morning. So you couldn't really see much you know, in the distance. So Could you just hear closely. the distant clash of sword on sword? I would have loved, I would have loved to have heard some musketry. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually at the bottom of the hill. There is a house called Hempton Ampner, which is um, one of the most haunted houses once stood. In wow! England. Yeah, it got knocked down. It was so haunted. Good lord! Yeah, they heard the battle uh, as ghosts um, in the uh, in the early nineteenth century, and um, they could hear musket fire and and fighting outside. Oh, I love a good haunted house. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so welcome to, as ever, <laughs> we go straight into the design stuff. Um, uh, welcome to North v South, the podcast that is and isn't about design. I am Jonathan Elliman, and on the other end of the um, fibre optic copper line is Rob Turpin. You've got your uh, cold coffee, I've got hot coffee. We really need to do an evening one so we can both enjoy a beer. Yeah, or perhaps a hot toddy in your case at the moment. Yeah, I had a hot toddy yesterday, and um, I got a headache from it. <laughs> uh, right, so uh, on with the show. What's on your desk this week, John? Well, nothing really, apart from a new lens that I've got. I've been out trying it. It's a <clears throat> very nice um, macro lens. And I'm not going to be taking lots of pictures of tiny little uh, insects, but it's more for products. So what makes a 105mm lens a macro lens? That's a really good question. The 105 gets you very close to the um, the subject without 
the lens being too close. Okay, so it's got a okay, but it must it must be something to do with the minimum focal. So the minimal distance focal length well. is very very short. Yeah. Uh, so um, <laughs> it is about. I think it's about 50, uh, 50 centimetres. Okay. Yeah, so that's about a third of the minimum focal length of my 300. The main thing is that you get one-to-one. So when you take a photograph of something, it is at one-to-one size. Mm. And normally it's a it's a proportion of that, isn't it? Yeah. Like half size or something. Um, uh, it's very nice. It's very, it's, it's very light for a macro because they can, they normally, because they've got a lot of glass in them that, they're normally pretty hefty, but this one isn't. And um, it's got lovely sort of old school uh, things on it, like it's got an aperture ring. So, oh, I love an aperture ring. Yeah, and you can you can de-click it, so you can have it smooth if you're doing videos, or yeah. you can put set it to click so that it you know goes into f point two point eight or whatever you want, or you can then lock it into automatic so you can't undo it. Yeah, um, and then it's got programmable buttons on it, so you can use it. You can extend the functionality of the camera um, by pressing the other buttons. So you know, so do you know you have like function buttons mm. on the back of your camera? This has got them on the lens as well because Sigma are part of the. Oh, I see. So if you were kind of, for instance, holding the camera and you're supporting the lens with one hand, you've got yeah. buttons within reach that you can. Yeah, you can pro- and you can program it so you could get it to uh, change change the setting or yeah, nice. switch from auto autofocus to manual. Yeah. It's got a limiter on it as well, so if you're doing like close up photography, you can say I don't want you to focus outside of twenty five cent, you know, fifty centimeters yeah. or whatever. So then it doesn't start jumping all over the place because it's got obviously it can focus to infinity so yeah. it takes a long time to go through all of the focus but yeah it's good i mean it, it's mainly for product but it's very good portrait lens as well because it actually i mean i know they say that 50 mil is the sort of perfect human eye yeah but 100 105 mil it sort of flattens things and brings things up so it it, it creates a really sort of upright image I, it's yeah it's, i it's kind nice. of quite like sort of around 80 mil for uh, yeah I did look at a ninety mil, a ninety mil. They do a ninety mil one, but it doesn't have the macro really capability of it, and that's mm. what I wanted it for because I wanted to take um, pictures of. I'd really struggled taking pictures of small badges and yeah, things like that. Um, and I've got a job as well f- that's coming up that will use it. So um, oh. I've got to take like sort of close up pictures of um, door furniture. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, okay. Enough. Cool. So like you know, Hang on, you just I just and- oh okay. I was just checking. You said door furniture and not dwarf furniture. <laughs> well, it could be, couldn't it? Behind yeah. me on my desk, yeah, yeah. there could be. Uh, I'm looking forward to the pictures you get of your little miniatures. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's about it, really. Um, that was a very long, boring conversation. No, no, no. It was nice. I've noticed on your notes that you've said uh, electric dance music is dangerous. <laughs> oh yeah. So I've um I, I've been fiddling around with my my shop. So um uh, I've got a shop called Ellie Press. If you don't know, and uh, we sell some of Rob's stuff and other artist stuff and it's kind of a, a a side a side hustle i think they call it in america don't they yeah for me um you're always i'm always fiddling with things and um the work the most annoying thing is um is sending emails to people one i don't like doing it but it's a really good way of getting quick sales in um you know i've got nearly a thousand i think nearly a thousand now subscribers that's amazing and um yeah, it's, it's nearly doubled in a year, which is very good. And if you want to sign up to it, please do. You get 10% off and <laughs> uh, and I don't send out very much and it's normally quite interesting. I've never found a uh, 
uh, a provider that I really liked. I've always liked MailChimp, but MailChimp fell out with um, Shopify. Mm. So they withdrew all of their API. It's so annoying when companies do that. I know, but they, anyway, they've fallen in love with each other again. And no, marvelous. So I was with a, one called Omnisend, but actually I just couldn't get on with it. The design side of it is just so awful. Um, so I've gone back to MailChimp. So I, I reconnected it, but what I didn't know was I had um, still some turned on sort of auto reply things on the MailChimp. So as soon as I plugged it in, it pulled all the new subscribers in and then just sent them out emails <laughs> through MailChimp, uh, like welcoming them from an email about four years ago. <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? But, um, yeah, I know. So um, I, I turned that off rapidly. Um, but it had already had already gone out. But I don't. I only lost. I think six people unsubscribed, which you know, doesn't really matter. No. Uh, yeah. So that was a bit of a, an error. So I've been fiddling with that. But I, it's kind of like painting the fourth bridge because I'm just doing this. I'm setting up the same thing over and over again. It's really annoying. Stop fiddling uh, with it, John. <laughs> well, I can't. I've got. Yeah, I'm just trying to update it. And I, I've. Um, it's also made me realise that I've really got to sort my branding out. Um, <clears throat> for that and my design side because yeah. I just don't I've never done anything with it I sort of did a logo and then chucked it on a Shopify site and that was about it <laughs> uh, but yeah there we go I've just weirdly I've just been thinking maybe it's time for me to change my branding right. I haven't got any further than that momentous statement <laughs> what for this northern boy yeah. all lowercase you yeah. know I went through the site and did all yeah, the lowercase I'm going to change it all to uppercase now yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. But no, I just, uh, I don't know. I've got a, a little tickle that's telling me I need to just give it a tweak. Yeah. So I don't know how that'll pan out. Well, I was thinking that you're, because uh, you, you've got a business card that we stick the um, the badge of the free, free yeah. pin badges to, and that could change, I think, because uh, you, you don't want it as a business card anymore, do you? You want no. illustrations on it. Yeah. Oh, anything interesting? Well, let's have a look. It's excellent um, live, radio. live opening. Ah, a backpack. A new rucksack. <laughs> a day, day bag of some sort. Yeah, just big enough, hopefully, for the camera and a drone and a water bottle for Iceland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've done, all my, I've done all my shopping this week, clothes and new waterproof coat and some waterproof trousers and thermal socks, stuff like that. When are you off? Two weeks on Sunday, 1st of May. Um, and how are you getting on with that drone? All right. So this week, this week, yeah, Monday, we have a local wedding venue that Steph, my wife, does flowers for a lot. And we know them quite well. And it's a 18th century mansion on the edge of Bushy Park. Uh, so I just asked them if it was all right if I flew my drone around their gardens during the uh, holidays. So I did. So that was kind of fun, flying in and around gardens over the house and really trying to crack what sort of movements I need to to master to get nice cinematic style shots. Um, but it was good. It was a bit breezy. So once you got up above like 30 or 40 metres, it kept giving you warnings saying that it couldn't hold its position. But that's the perils of a tiny little drone. Mm. So, But it was really good. And uh, I was flying over this folly, 
and disturbed a little sleeping fox on the on the roof, which was quite cute. So I took a, a video of this fox sort of looking up at me, bewildered. But it was <laughs> it was good. I'm kind of getting the hang of it now. Yeah. So, um, but um, but it is a whole different the the kind of motor skills you need, the kind of hand eye coordination, everything is one thing, and then just kind of thinking in the video ways is just another thing. And I've done zero video work, so. Um, yeah, it takes a bit of getting used to. Yeah, because um, you've got to th- you've got to think about coming into the shot and out of the shot exactly, rather than just yeah the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be creating any um, masterpieces. I mean, all my stuff is probably going to be for the blog and social media. But you know, it'd be nice to get some some nice shots. So I've bought ND filters so that I can shoot at a low ISO and a uh shoot at um 24 frames a second <clears throat> to give it kind of a slightly more cinematic thing because it's a, automatically it shoots at like 4k 60 frames a second and you get that kind of awful motion smoothing thing that you get on tv that makes everything look unreal mm-hmm. so yeah but um getting there so what's on your desk rob well i've got one commission on which is causing me problems because it's I can't find enough reference for it. So it's a series of four ships that all bore the same name, uh, which was the Scotia. And um, there's a current vessel, which was built 15 years ago, I think. And it's a Scottish fisheries research vessel. And the original Scotia, which was built in 1870 or something, was a steam sort of schooner type thing. And that was a a polar exploration vessel. So I need reference for all these four ships to do illustrations for someone whose father or grandfather worked on one of the ships. So it's a really nice commission, but um, just tricky getting good reference. So I'm kind of trawling through um, uh, model building uh, hobbyist sites, looking for models of the ships and, all sorts of places, marine museums. And I've even emailed the shipyard that built the latest ship to see if I can get a blueprint. <laughs> so um, so that's been uh, occupying my time. Um, and apart from that, I've been trying to catch up on Weirdfield War. So writing more content for that. I've been doing some little illustrations of space stations to do with that that I've been putting on my Patreon I did a I did a an actual drawing process video, which I don't do very often, um, of me drawing one of these spaceships and talking about the the process, which was actually a lot of fun, um, and people seem to like it. So I'll do some more of those. It's a little bit like the podcast, really, just waffling on while you do something. But um, it makes you when you watch it back. It's always strange when I watch back a video of me drawing. It's just like watching someone else draw. Like I don't, um, I don't remember it, which is yeah. really weird. So I don't remember where I'm going to put the pen next. So it's always it's a, it's a bit of a surprise. Um, and the same with the kind of talking about it. You'd think you'd, watching it back, you'd have exactly the same thoughts, but you, you don't. Um, but that's really it. Shopping for Iceland stuff. Um, bit of planning Iceland. Um, yeah, 
it's been sort of a quiet week, really. It has been quiet. <laughs> uh, right, okay. Well, let's get on with some news then. Yes, let's. I'll start. I think this is one of the best bits of branding I've seen for ages. And I tweeted to that effect on Twitter. And I'd say 50-50 people loved it and hated it. So oh. Johnson Banks have redone a, a whole rebrand, a new identity for Jodrell Bank. Um, she's a radio telescope, scientific establishment. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, and I think they've done an amazing job. They've got this beautiful animated logo, which kind of sits in a virtual radio telescope dish, and it kind of twists around and you kind of, you know, distorts the text, which I think is beautiful. But then that leads to kind of all these different uh, elements that they can use throughout the branding. And I just think they've done a cracking job of it. I think it's really interesting. I think it's fun. And they take it kind of into real kind of 1960s space race graphics, um, sort of almost sort of abstract using the curve of the dish and the ellipses that it makes as this animation twists to um, be containers for images, some really nice photography, typography. And I think it's just one of the best things I've seen for a long time. So I would like your opinion, John. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, I like all the work and the, um, the, uh, all the collateral that they've worked on and improved. Mm. And I like the graphic design of it. I don't like the 3d effect. I don't think it works. I, I, I mean, I don't think the rotation of it just seems to me uh straight in some views. It doesn't seem to actually curve to the actual, it's got I that they've weird, done this in 3d. It's got that weird thing, hasn't it? Where it, it's like one of those rotating things and you can see it from, I don't know, depending on how you're looking at it, it looks like a different thing. Um, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't suppose that element of it is going to get used very much, is it? No, but. no. They're using that. It looks like they're using that in the um, as a shape, you know, mm. to cut yeah, things yeah. out of. Um, I think it's a bit retro, and um, and I think it will age really quickly. Oh, that's what I'm going to say. I think you know the 1950s Dan Dare styling is not forward looking, and I that's that's my only. That's that's my initial thought on it. I do love the work, and I think you know if you look at their previous stuff, which I think is a bit unfair, putting all their old collateral in a presentation on the Johnson <laughs> Bank site of like, look at this stuff, it's rubbish. <laughs> that's very uh, rock star de- design yeah, behavior, really. isn't it? Um, but um, it's definitely a massive improvement, um, and I like the I like the work they've done on it. Um, mm. for, but just I. I I prefer the logo just with the circle and just f- straight on. I don't like it curved. But there, there you go. That's just me. And, yeah. And the and the and part of the story is you know it wasn't until we put it into three D that we realised that you know blah 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 blah. It's like that's not really three D. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> I really it looks like, like you've put it in Illustrator and put yeah, a curve yeah, yeah. on it. I really like the retro stuff. I mean, I just think it ties so so well back into its heritage. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I, I I totally accept that, and um, yeah. and I, I I look to see I you know I look forward to seeing what what, what the in house team do with that branding and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. look at it in a couple of years time. Yeah, if true. An in house team. Yeah, actually, good, I, good job, uh, Johnson. Last year, for the first time, I actually saw it. I was up in oh, Cheshire. Right. I was up in Cheshire for a wedding, obviously, yeah. uh, 
and we drove, we saw it in the distance and drove to it and I hopped over a fence and ran across a field and took some photographs of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's an amazing thing. The big, the big old telescope. Stunning. Mm. Uh, yes. So that was, uh, that was my find of the week. I thought, what have you got? Well, I, I, I saw that. Yeah. And I forgot to put it in my notes. So, uh, well done you for finding that one. I've got, I've got an RIP, um, oh, sadly, uh, a great illustrator and writer, um, David McKee died, um, last week. I think he was 94, was he? Something like that. He did, yeah. Yeah, good, good old, good old run. Um, but he was the, um, uh, the creator of Mr. Ben King Rollo. Yeah. Elmer. And uh, my favourite book with my that I would read with my daughter was uh, "Not Now, Bernard." Um, about, I don't know that one. About a uh, a monster who eats a boy, and then the monster <laughs> takes the place of the boy. Um, and you're not quite sure whether the uh, <laughs> whether the monster is the boy in sort of a metaphorical yeah. way, or whether he actually is a monster and he's eaten it. But the parents really don't uh, pay much attention to it, so they haven't noticed that their son has been. Uh, savaged by a monster oh, in the sounds garden. Amazing. But, but the art in it is just fantastic so loose and brave and um yeah uh, it's that, not- when you mentioned bravery obviously um lots of people were were kind of posting images from their favorite books or scenes or bits from mr ben and his his use of perspective or his complete disregard for it yeah it's just magical you know, he, yeah. he he drew and painted things that you just couldn't imagine, and they would it just brought the whole thing to life. He was yeah, really yeah. was an astonishing artist. Yeah, not now. Bernard is full of full of drawings like that because yeah. it's um it's quite a large format book, and um yeah, so he pulls he pulls perspective to the edges of the drawing that he's de- to the edge of the area that he's working in. Mm. Do you see what I mean? So yeah, yeah. he's not actually trying to draw re- realistically. But there are things that are in 3D and things that aren't in perspective, and it's yeah. But it it works because it's so loose. I think yeah. that's that's the benefit of it. Yeah. But it's just it's got all this depth and detail to it that you don't notice on the first the first look. It's definitely a book to uh, pick up in in a if you you know go into a bookshop and have a look at it. Yeah, because it is a classic. Um, yeah. So sadly, uh, another another one bites the dust. Video games. I'm not a gamer, John. Uh, I I no longer own a console, but I couldn't escape the the um, the hoo ha when the uh, new game Elden Ring came out. Lots of people were looking forward to it, and lots of people excited by it. And it's kind of a dark, grim fantasy sword and sorcery type tale. Um, is it? Is it? I don't know like the exact a, story, but is it a slashy sort of first person? I think it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a first person thing. Um, but it's created by George R. R. Martin. Uh, oh, right. Okay. He was doing that instead of writing the last book of um, <laughs> Game of Thrones. Okay. Um, but someone has created uh, a tilt-shift version. So tilt-shift oh, yeah. is that uh, effect you can get with certain lenses on cameras, and obviously you can do it digitally, uh, which gives you a really short depth of field uh, and makes everything look like tiny little models. Yeah. You can do it if you're, you know, if you're at the top of a, a tower, you can take a photograph of a street, use tilt shift, and it makes all the people look like tiny little models. And it's it's amazing. And someone has has run Elden Ring through some sort of tilt shift simulator right. and turned this, you know, incredibly immersive fantasy game into this astonishing sort of uh, 
looks like sort of stop motion kids cartoon type thing. And it's adorable. And it's it's incredible. It looks a little bit like uh you remember the opening titles of Game of Thrones. Yeah. You've kind of got all those castles and models the and things. Work things moving in there. Yeah, it kind of has a, a sort of feel of that to it. Um but it's just fantastic. Yeah, I'm just watching it now. Um yeah, it looks really cute. I yeah. I'd, I'd probably as a retro sort of an old gamer I'd probably prefer to play that version. Exactly. Of it than yeah. First person. <laughs> yeah. And it's also the the viewpoint has been pulled right out. So you're kind of watching the character from a distance. Yeah. Uh, which really helps. So you've got these tiny little characters kind of running across bridges and through fields and villages and things. Wow. People it's, have a lot of uh, spare time, don't they? They do. But it's, <laughs> it's just magical. Love it. Yeah, I do like that. I, I I'd like to play that game, but I just I be but I know I'd get I know I'd buy it, I'd install it, I'd run all the updates that it probably has to run, and mm. then I'd be bored yeah. with learning how to play it. Bit yeah. Bit. Have you ever played um No Man's Sky? No. So that's a big open universe sci fi game. And a lot of people say they just play that almost in like tranquility mode. They yeah. just fly around, explore, get out their spaceship, wander around these alien that one planets. by that we talked about years ago? They're in Guildford or something like that. Are they <laughs> British? They're British. I think they are. Small. I think so. Yeah. yeah. You sort of yeah. go to planets and explore yeah. them and then it's yeah. all procedurally generated. Yeah. I wonder if you'd like that sort of a game. I don't know. I don't know. I've Fun. still got a console up in the loft, but I never, you know, it's just sitting there. Doing yeah. nothing. Is it an, an Atari plug and play cartridges? Bina, but what was it? Binatone or what was the one where? Yeah, I don't know. Um, no, it's a uh, it's a an Xbox something. Um, yeah. The last one, not the new 360? one. Three sixty one. I don't know. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Alad gave it to me. He's probably got five of them. Probably. What's your next bit of news? Oh, yeah. Good, good question. Um, Oh yeah, this was this was interesting because we we're talking about being authentic and true to yourself rather than trying to play to an audience. It's a letter that um, Steve Albini, who is a famous, um, well, he was in a band called Black Flag, but uh, he's you know he's more famous for being an engineer um, and a, a, a producer of music, and he wrote a letter to Nirvana when he was um, going to work on their album. I think it was in in Utero. <laughs> Um, yeah. And it's it's on a site called Letters of Note, which I think just you know lists old letters from the past that are, that are quite interesting. I've never seen it before. Oh, it's fantastic! Um, and it's just really, it's a really cool letter um, that just sort of lays out his um, his thinking and and what he should you know his sort of creative vision for what the album should be and how he works. And and I just really liked it, um, the sentence. I would like to be paid like a plumber. You know, that that's yeah. you're employing him for that particular one thing as long as the band are true to themselves. And he's one of his other quotes is I'm only interested in working on records that leg- legitimately reflect the band's own perception of their music and existence. Yeah. And that's such a nice, honest way of working. It's a fantastic yeah. letter. Um and yeah, the the kind of honesty and lack of ego involved. You know, he was a incredibly well renowned uh, music producer and engineer at this time and he's not imposing anything on them except you know kind of honesty and integrity um and it's just great and that thing about being paid like a plumber is is you know the opposite of you know the 
the other big names that he talks about who would want a cut of record sales. And yeah. he says, you know, I'm just doing a job here and now making the, the record. The record is yours. Mm-hmm. You know, pay me once it's finished and, and we're done. Just yeah. fantastic. I just think that this this sort of this letter, um it, we'll touch on it later when we talk about our topic. Um, but it, it, it talks about, you know, yeah, just being open and honest and not taking the piss, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so my next two bits of news can uh, can go together because they both um, include Twitter. So last year, in, I think it was in March or April last year, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, is he the ex-CEO now? Is he still there? I can't remember no, if he's left or not. Uh, he he minted an NFT of his first ever tweet, which sold for two point nine million dollars, and you know he gave the money away. Fine. The buyer of that NFT has just tried to resell it, uh, hoping for I can't work out if it was twenty five million or fifty million they were hoping for because they said they were going to give fifty fifty uh, percent to charity, and the, the article quotes hoping that would be 25 million. So I don't know, somewhere between 25 and 50 million he was hoping to sell it for. And the highest bid he had was just $6,000. So I'm really hoping that that uh, is signifying an end to the incredibly insane speculative nature of this NFT boom, this NFT bubble that, that kind of grew up over the last year or so. Um, I mean, you've said for ages that NFTs and the blockchain are going to be here to stay forever. And I do agree with you. I'm just hoping that this, you know, this kind of tulip bulb like mania is, uh, is done and dusted. Um, and hopefully that, that might signify that that's, that's coming to pass. You know, it's a walled garden as well, isn't it? Because yeah. only the people buying the NFTs are the people investing. You know, who are who have sort of any interest in making money in it. Yeah. Um, nobody else can. You know, nobody knows how to buy NFTs. I mean, you know, you know, if you asked your mum to buy an NFT, what do you reckon you'd get? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, not not saying that they're. Um, you know, it's just it's really complicated and and boring and technical and just. Yeah, it's just meaningless, isn't it, at the moment? Mm. Um, but yeah, good. I'm glad that it yeah. struggles to sell. What a load of old crap. Absolutely. Um, uh, and the other bit of associated news is... Just, just in. News just, just in. News just in. Elon Musk. <laughs> so uh, a few weeks ago, he bought a big stake in Twitter. I think he did he buy $3 billion worth of Twitter. And uh, he was invited to join the board. He said he was going to join the board. Twitter said he was joining the board. And then there was some sort of due diligence done and he wasn't joining the board. Mm -hmm. Uh, But today he has announced he would like to buy Twitter outright. And he's put in a bid for £41 billion, which I think is about 30% more than it's currently worth. Um, And I think that's a horrible, horrible possible outcome you know regardless of kind of what you think of elon musk or tesla or uh, spacex or any of the things that he's involved in he's fundamentally a right-leaning libertarian and he will turn twitter into a a wild west of free speech regardless of the harm it does um, and i think it'd be awful 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, what's his interest in it? It's you know. Well, someone actually said. Uh, I think it was Shannon Styron on Twitter, uh, who's a science and space writer. Um, she said he mistakes the approval you get from being retweeted and liked as real approval rather than this kind of ephemeral virtual thing. And uh, he's buying it really for approval, which kind of rings true. I mean, he does come across as quite a needy individual. Mm. Oh, he's he's, a, he's an idiot of the highest uh, caliber. Mm. Yeah. What do you think's going to happen then? Well, I think, you know, Twitter in the past few years have been trying to get on top of trolling and, you know, kind of uh, racism and misogyny and hate speech. Um, I mean, obviously, they've only been doing that under pressure from from everyone else and from governments. And, and I think under a private owner, uh, there'd just be no no real need for them to do any of that. And, you know, Elon Musk has said he believes in uh, complete free speech to say whatever you want. Hmm. Uh, so I just think it'd be awful. It's a funny one, isn't it, Twitter? Because you, d- you don't pay for it, but it's mm. almost like people expect it. It's a right to, you know, yeah. it's like a, it's like a, a right to speech, a right to express yourself. Yeah, it is. It is with you know any kind of free service. You know, you've got absolutely no no rights to expect anything of it, have you? But um, I guess they're monetizing your content in a way, aren't they? You know, they're serving up ads to you and making mm. money from that. So you know, you should have some sort of comeback to how it's how it behaves. Um, yeah. particularly with it being a publicly listed company. Um, but yeah, if Elon gets his hands on it, then uh, who knows? Yeah. To another strange person, Alan Moore, um, the yes. comic book writer, he's got a course on BBC Maestro, this sort of this B- new wing of the BBC, sort of like highfalutin training yeah, <laughs> courses. Well, I think all media companies do that now, don't they? You know, the Guardian offers all sorts of uh, kind of courses and training things with its with its journalists or photographers yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, he he, uh, it's eighty quid, um, six hours of learning, um, course notes, <laughs> thirty three lessons. So, um, yeah, it uh, it's definitely worth the money if you want to follow. You know, if you're looking at um, getting into writing any kind of world building. Kind I'm of. really tempted. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to listen to it. I, I mean, his writing is incredible. I mean, he's a, you know, he is an odd, uh, sort of contrary chap, but I like him. Yeah. Um, but the trailer for it, uh, you know, comes across quite cool. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched the trailer, so yeah. I'm going to watch that afterwards. But yeah, uh, that, that's a, that's a, that's a good one to put on your uh, Christmas, Christmas list. Absolutely, um, of a nice little digital present to yourself. Mm. Um, so we go from uh, from learning how to create art to um, to computers creating art. Um, I'm not sure I understand all of this next one, but no. there's a there's <laughs> there's a thing. <laughs> you sound so. Da- Do you think it's t- it's called Dal E two? Um, it's an AI system that comes from uh, OpenAI, mm. and uh, it's creating art. 
based on words that is fed to it. Um, and I guess they're exploring um, all sorts of weird and wonderful things. But uh, I'm not one. I don't not sure how it works, and two, I'm not sure what's the use of it. At all. It's a weird one, and you can imagine it being used to fulfil a similar space for illustration or you know uh, paid content imagery that somewhere like Fiverr does or a cheap stock site because based on the prompts you give it, it conjures up in some cases passable imagery that it's yeah. created. Um, there's quite a, a, a howl of, of existential angst over on Twitter, art Twitter about it because some people have been showing how it can be used to produce interesting concept art in terms of kind of landscapes or uh, sort of semi sort of generative uh, sci-fi, you know, tech. Um, but one thing that everyone has pointed out is this is based on it being fed hundreds of thousands or millions of images for it to kind of then base everything on. And are all those images copyright free? Mm-hmm. That's that's the question a lot of people are asking because, you know, this is producing images, but it's based on existing content. Mm-hmm. So that's an answer that – that's a question that hasn't been answered yet. Um, but it's not getting a lot of love. No. I, just, um, I mean, it produces some very weird stuff, but it produces stuff that does not look like it's been generated by an AI. No, it's it's strange, isn't it? Yeah, but it's t- certainly taking the uh, the art out of uh, of image creation. Um, yeah, uh, but it shows you that um, I'm not sure what what would it try to replace other than you know in human imagination. I don't. Yeah, but, know, I c- but you very rarely care for that if you want an image for a corporate website, do you? No, no. You know, yeah, you sure. Type something I'm- in and get, get an image back for I don't know. Maybe they charge you a dollar for it. Well, I'm guessing that um, I don't know what Adobe calling this now. They've got a whole thing for it, haven't they? Where um, in Photoshop, they've got all sorts of uh, algorithms going on for their fill. You know, their their sort mm, of intelligence content aware filling. fill. Yeah, content aware fill. Yeah. Um, it's getting more and more clever, isn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, it's a million miles away from Photoshop when I was using it in anger. You know, yeah. in an art working way. I mean, the, the, what what you can do is of uh, filling in spaces and getting rid of areas. And uh, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of this tech um, gets driven by social media. I mean, if you look at the filters that are available on, you know, Snapchat and Instagram and things, I mean, they're astonishing bits of tech and it's real time rendering. um, And it's all based on sort of machine learning, isn't it? And algorithms that, you know, manipulate images based on, you know, uh, a a reference, a huge reference sample. Mm-hmm. So I think as uh, as the capabilities of the tech increases, that's going to become more and more seamless. And then you that gets, starts getting brought into kind of the professional scene. I mean, I'm surprised that no camera makers use any of this stuff in in camera yet. You know, because the the iPhone. There's loads and loads of image processing. I'm sure that Samsung do the same. Um, you know, the photograph that your iPhone takes is not the one that you see on the screen. 
you know, it's manipulated and processed to produce the best looking image. Um, but it surprises me that camera manufacturers don't offer that. I mean, yes, they have kind of filters and film simulations and things, but yeah, yeah. there are some, you know, yeah, you do get some, don't you, on the more consumer side of things, yeah. but once you go up to, uh, larger cameras they, they don't they they tend to strip all of that stuff out don't they mm. a lot um yeah no i was just looking back at um adobe are calling it neural filters this new thing where you can okay. mix landscapes up colors um yeah they've got uh different filters yeah landscape mixer color transfer harmonization and colorize and super zoom i don't know what they what they do or anything but they they are using some kind of ai to fill in yeah gaps clever yeah. stuff but scary yeah, you know it's scary in the same way that all these kind of deep fake videos are, are scary, isn't it? You know, it's very difficult to tell real from the unreal and the genuine from the fake these days. Uh, a couple of fonts. Um, there's a, a new Proxima Serra. Um, you know, everyone's been using Proxima Nova for the last five years. Well, I certainly uh, have <laughs> quite extensively. It sort of seems to become the uh, the go-to sans serif font yeah. on the web. Um, the, the, so there's a, a, a partner. Oh, that's really nice. It's been partnered with it. It's very blobby. Um, you know, it's I really like round- the. I really like the black. The I think black, that looks good. Right. It's it's like yeah, you know, Clarendon-ish. I quite like that. I don't like I, it. I don't I like the light li- versions. I think when it's light, you, it's it looks like the ink's filling in. Um, mm to me i don't know whether is it designed for display or is it designed for print i think if it's to de- design for display it's, it's really hard on the eye um, it is strange isn't it the thinner it gets the like you say it does look like it's filling in yeah it almost looks like sort of courier you know in the way those kind of serifs are, are super dark yeah exactly um there's a in on the same site i love typography there's a uh, a monthly thing called stephen heller's font of the month yeah and he's showing off a um a font called nicholas i think it's called and uh, that's I, I that's really nice it's based upon fact magazine which is a lublin designed um oh uh, yeah um but that's a really nice typeface um I like that one. I might be, yeah. might be getting that one. Um, but I noticed at the footer of this article was it says Stephen Heller is nothing short of a legend in the design community, <laughs> <laughs> and this brings me on to our weekly topic, um, yeah. which is I bunged out a tweet yesterday, a day before, got absolutely no no replies <laughs> from it. So you, I had to rely on your fame, your fame <laughs> to uh, to put it out there. But it was a, uh, is this a uh, superstars, ninjas, evangelists, visionaries, gurus, all stars? These are common terms designers get tagged with in media. Um, why can't we just be designers? What's mm. happened to the description of our trade that uh, has got so highfalutin and and well, frankly, arrogant? Yeah. But I wonder, is this just a very vocal minority? You know, is it, are these people the, the absolute loud idiots? Because the consensus on Twitter, which was my, uh, my, uh, research is that everyone just calls themselves a designer or, uh, uh, you know, in some cases an art director, 
like sort well, of Neil, Neil Neil says he just I usually go with Neil, <laughs> Neil Ram- <laughs> that's, that's Mr Neil Ramsbottom I think that is good work Neil Neil. I like that very funny do you like as well clumsy pickle says I call myself an illustrator now instead of graphic designer my missus calls me a, a colour yeah. inner yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. um, yeah I mean have you ever been in a studio where somebody like bigs up their I mean, you know, their label that they are, you know, creative designer, no. guru. No, I've only ever known designers, design directors, senior designer, you know, creative director, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I've been in studios, I've worked in studios where, you know, there've been some incredibly arrogant, egotistical people at the top of the company. Like we've mentioned before, I worked for one company where the two, two of the three directors one of them would wear a fez all day and walk around kind of affecting this bizarrely theatrical manner. Uh, he'd often come to meetings wearing swimming goggles. Mm. Um, you know, that kind of bizarre, you know, I must I must appear to be creative, otherwise people won't realise I am sort of thing. And I think that, that perhaps uh, rolls over into this kind of uh, naming thing, you know, with people, you know, other people who call themselves gurus and uh, ninjas and everything, are they just insecure? Are they, are they, you know, not convinced that people will uh, value them for their work? Often it's in, you know, titles of media um, mm. articles and things like that. Is it, is it more, is it more come from that? Do you think? I mean, I don't know anybody that would get away with calling themselves an, a rock star and a ninja. But not I think in this country. Some, some people, yeah, not in this country. But I think some people uh, kind of enjoy that. They, you know that they'll enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see them on like, you know, especially designers who are busy on LinkedIn. Oh God, yes. <laughs> or, uh, or have their own YouTube channels or, yeah. you know, they want to push themselves. But it, it, it takes me back to that um, Steve Albini letter is – you know, we're just doing a job. We sh- there should be no remnant of the designer left once a job is finished. It's, exactly. Yeah, it should just be the work. That's what the, yeah. the, the customer's paying you Exactly. To do. If, you know, if you look at a job and, and can recognize the designer, then that's a disservice to the, the company that's paid for the design, isn't it? You don't want their footprints left in, in your branding. No, no. Obviously, that work might get attributed to that designer in time in a yeah. sort of you know in a retrospective or yeah. whatever but at the time yeah it shouldn't have the signature at the bottom <laughs> yeah <laughs> it yeah. always used to amaze me you know like sign companies when i was working sign companies you, you you know they'd leave their stickers on this on the signs that they would make it's like what yeah. <laughs> ridiculous yeah, exactly. you get it on there or you know yeah i used to you know it was quite a habit wasn't it for the design team to put their links at the bottom of web of clients websites yeah this this site is built by uh, even that was kind of like pushing know, it a little very bit. Very weird. It? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wondered if it was just a case of like, you know, this fandom of design. I mean, it's a pretty boring job, uh, you know, it, in its essence, you know, designing is, is quite, um, it's time consuming, crunchy and, you know, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you are, a, you know, middleweight designer or you're an art worker, um, you know, it can be very, very repetitive quite high pressured there's no there's no real glamour to it you're sitting in a horrible room that's full of you know people eating foods that they've reheated in microwaves it's not very nice yeah um, there's I not mean, this you know we're not lying around in white gloss 
studios, um, you know, like you well, say, that, wearing fezzes. Exactly. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? You know, a lot of this probably does stem from, you know, those designers that are now no longer designing. You know, they're pointing at stuff and, and you know, ushering other designers around, but still maintain that label of, you know, design guru. Well, like you said earlier, it sort of comes from the sort of the advertising world um, where you had creative pairs that would work, yeah. you know, often Ooh. in ad, ad agencies, you'll have four or five, six sets of creative pairs who work on pitches. Exactly. That's pretty much yeah. all they do um, and concept yeah. work. And that kind of behavior, that engenders really bad behavior, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've got a friend who was worked in lots of places like that and, he, you know, drug use, um, abuse of staff um, mm. you know um, yeah money wasting is just extraordinary um, well in historically I'm not sure yes still no, I suppose it's still like that but yeah. I, but does it also come from like sort of you know people who make games or or famous artists illustrators that kind of stuff where where does this description I don't know a couple of from? people a couple of people said it was really indicative of a of almost like a startup when you see them see a company or a studio or an agency putting a call out, you know, to recruit, you know, gurus or rock star designers or whatever. It was indicative of a kind of short-term thinking by a, a startup company that, you know, wanted to attract talent, pander to them with the intention of just, you know, creating a product quickly, selling, getting out quick, almost sort of venture capitalism. Yeah. The, the, I think Mike Sullivan posted a thing on Twitter about a Bloomberg um, article uh, in the week and the uh, title of the article I mean, it was called Welcome to Your Bland New World and this guy Ben Schott the writer is talking about um, disruptive startups and how they're all just using the same identikit formula mm. of business model for, to sell products that are already in the public domain things like yeah. you know um, oh Harry's shaving stuff yes. and uh, yeah. Casper the pillow manufacturer I mean, they've always been there. Why are they, you know, they're trying to reinvent this, this wheel to get as much money as possible. But they're, they're the kind of, they use that kind of language, don't they? That those brands use that yeah. kind of, um, uh, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, trying to elevate the product above what Exactly. It it's is. the sort of thing that uh, Johnny Ive used to do in his product videos. Uh, you, you get them on Kickstarter product videos, don't you? Where they, they talk about this, this product that already exists and they've tweaked it or they've made it out of bamboo. Uh, and they, you know, they they talk about it in reverential terms, as if they've just uh, invented the wheel for the first time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know what it is. Whether it's hype for the sake of it to to attract attention, or whether these people are, you know, believe their own hype. I don't know. It's a it's a level of arrogance that I don't think uh, a lot of British people can. Uh, British no, creatives was, can kind of uh, attain. No, I, I mean maybe it isn't an issue. I just, I just think it's really st- it's just. It just struck me the other day when I read yet another sort of, you know, sort of um, ninja or whatever it was, mm. designer, you know, or a amazing, you know, um, mega talented design. It are you just, looking? Are you looking for new leads on Dribble again, John? Is that how you come <laughs> across all these? Like this person tweeted yesterday was, um, "Hi, I'm a senior director of design. To all the recruiters who asked me to apply to senior designer roles, please stop." 
That, it's that level of arrogance. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, and it's like that. It's that kind of attitude that is driving this kind of self aggrandizement. Where, where was that? Was that a tweet or? Yeah, it was somebody's. Um, I'm not going to name names. No, no, um, but, but uh, yeah, it was on Twitter, and it was like um, just complaining about people offering you jobs, and that you haven't got the right. You know, they're not yeah. getting the right descriptions. I mean, grow up. It's pathetic. It is. Uh, that would just sort of exemplified that nonsense. Um, but there we go. Uh, yeah. Uh, just on the on the back of that, I I saw on Instagram, uh, Believe, uh, lovely Canadian British uh, branding agency. Uh, one of their latest uh, uh, Instagram posts was for someone who calls himself Lord of Lo- of the Logos. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God, that's that's some claim, but it's kind of tongue in cheek because he's uh, he's well known in the heavy the heavy metal scene right. as a designer of kind of band logos and oh, okay. you know, so it's it's kind of tongue in cheek and it's you know it's all very glitz you know it's kind of metallic foil and um, but yeah, I thought that was uh, weirdly appropriate to mention. <laughs> Who's that designer in London that's uh, he's got long blonde hair and he's a bit of a, a lovey and he's called Steve somebody or Oh, uh, I can't remember. He, he's of that kind of he would call, he would call yes, himself a uh, He would I know exactly who you mean. Super mega designer or whatever. But um yeah, uh, yeah. I, I call him arse. Yes. Um I think you know if you're if you're a designer just just be a designer. Um and there's definitely uh, though I call myself a designer but I kind of flinch whenever I say it because I'm not comfortable being a designer um because I come from artwork. So I have this kind of like there was always a massive separation between artwork and design and I don't think there is so much anymore but it's no. still in some companies it's still very much split between yeah I mean I started off as a designer and then when I moved back to London the only job I could get was a creative artworkers role I mean I was desperate for a job at the time so I wasn't going to say no but then I was pigeonholed as a an art worker for yeah. years yeah and so there's this yeah there, there is from that way and I guess you know people looking up will always think that the grass is always greener but um it definitely isn't (laughs) i think you know you should be equally proud as you know if you're working in design you're working in design you're you're a designer aren't you whether you're an art worker or a senior designer or a art director or whatever exactly you're still solving problems at the end of the day yep couldn't agree more okay all right well um let's move on to um pies then are we done yeah, oh no, we've I, got website of the week. Have you got? I haven't, a website got, of the I haven't week? got one. I haven't got one either. Um, almost as if I haven't looked at the internet this week, which is a lie. But I haven't got a website of the week. Well, my 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 only one was just looking again. I picked up um, a book that I think everyone should have on their desk, on their bookshelves, or desk, or wherever, um, which is um, the Elements of Typographic Style um, by Robert Bringhurst. Um, and if you haven't got it, I'll send you a copy, Rob. But um, yeah. it is a fantastic book about. Um, the basics of typography and uh it's um i've been using um his sort of idea of uh, it's not his idea but the classic typographic scale um i've put a link in there where there's a Mm. scale calculator um and it's really handy for websites because you can you can make it expand and contract on the size of the screen as well um okay so Uh, it's all about harmonious font sizes and how they you know they cascade down in sizes um oh, cool. but yeah i'll put i'll put that link on there um very interesting but yeah it's a book the, the elements of typographic style i do when i was a 
when I was a graphic designer rather than illustrator, I really wanted to be a typographer. And so I've got quite a lot of books on that kind of stuff, you know, the kind of technical aspects of typography. And, and I still find it really, really fascinating. I went, to, I went to a funeral recently um, and the priest was reading from the Book of Common Prayer and he had the book open. He was kind of turned to look at the coffin while he was giving this reading. Uh, and I was just marvelling at the typography of the Book of Common Prayer, which is which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, well, on Bible paper and... Yeah, it's the, uh, the who is it? Uh, Derek Birdsell, I think, designed it. Uh, oh, okay. And it's just lovely. It's a oh. lovely thing. You'd really like it, actually. In fact, I've got a PDF of the how he went about making it. I'll send you. Oh, right. oh, that really sounds fascinating. Yeah, brilliant. All right, then. Nice. Well, on to prize. Do you want to go first? I, John, have got, and I think it's a first, uh, it is a Sainsbury's, Tis the Difference, Coronation Chicken Pie. Oh. Yeah, that is a first. Oh, slightly yellow top. It's very turmeric. yellowy. Um, yeah. So I'm going to go in. What have you got? I've got a Higgity that my wife's oh. been buying secondhand ones again. This is a, <laughs> this is a uh, creamy mushroom and kale pie. This could be windy, couldn't it? It's could actually got it's it's a Higgity, but it's actually got a real top to it. Oh, this is very good. I love coronation chicken. Coronation chicken with flaky pastry. I mean, that's just a double win. It looks like slime inside. It, all it tastes of is wet mushroom. There's no kale. Well, there's bits of kale, but why would you want kale in a pie? It's gross. The texture changes, you know? It's just really, you know when you don't cook mushrooms right and they go really slimy? Slimy. It's that inside. It's Slimy mushrooms, my wife's bete noir. It's, um, yeah, it's awful. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a four. A four. Okay, I'm going to give this a 7.5. Okay. I think it could do with a little bit more heat. I mean, I know a coronation chicken shouldn't be a fiery thing, but I think it just needs a, a little bit of heat, and then it would be um, elevated to to approaching a nine. Oh. It's very, it's very tasty. Yeah, I, I I quite like the sound of that. It sounds really? nice. I'd really like a nice hot curry just to shift this <laughs> I bet. cold off me. Yeah, I've now yeah. got a weekend of uh, it's Easter, isn't it? So, and we've got, of course. Um, I've got. Just tons of people coming over for the weekend. Oh. Just uh, and I could really, um, yeah, I, lo- I love my family, but I could do with uh, <laughs> some some quiet time. <laughs> yeah, not not ideal to uh, have to entertain family uh, when you're just just getting over a terrible terrible illness. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what are you up to this weekend? Oh, the dog. Uh, no, I, I don't know, actually. Nothing really this weekend. Next week, there's three weddings, oh. and the week after, there's a wedding, and then I'm going. Then you, then you're so, going. so next week, I'll probably be trying to fit in last-minute Icelandy shopping stuff if I realise I've forgotten something in between weddings. Okay, well, enjoy the rest of your day. and um, Thank yeah. you, John. Hope you feel better soon. Thank you, and you too. And, uh, we'll speak to you soon. Will do. Ta-da. All right, bye.